Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX, stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, and yes, it is our very special Sunday mailbag edition. It is Sunday morning, it is special, it is the mailbag, and he is Andrew Page. G'day, mate, how are you? I'm very good, sir, how are you? I'm exceptionally well. For those who don't know, I am Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and we present The Motley Fool Money Podcast. Worth saying, mate, up front, um, we used to work together at The Motley Fool a very long time ago until you went off and founded the very successful strawman.com. But we are still mates and we still love doing this podcast. That's why we're here and we are glad you are joining us on, well, maybe a Sunday morning or maybe at some point on Sunday or Monday or in three or four years' time. In which case, if we've said anything wrong, if we've made any mistakes, it was all Andrew's fault, not mine. (laughs) Uh, Mate, should we we get straight into it? Yeah, let's dive in. All right, here's one from Bernard who says, Hello, Captain and Rant. I have a have a question for the podcast machine. But first, what is the Straw Simeon Investment Club thing? Oh, goodness. Andrew, do you, do you know? Yeah, we're a private online investment club. Okay. I'm called we really started Stand. something here. I, did, my, I, I, am, I am a vessel for our listeners. I've told you many, many mm-hmm. times. Don't blame mm-hmm. the messenger here. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just passing on Bernard's, Bernard's question. He had a question, mate. That's what we do his, on the What's his bag. question? <laughs> that was his, well, that was his first question. Uh, he says... Uh, you two, you two are required listening for me and have been since Rant's first stint. I do love they're calling you Rant's too. That's yeah, pretty fun. Yeah. Many thanks. <laughs> and yes, I'm receiving treatment for this. You should be, Bernard. It is a very, very, very big problem. Help, he says. I'm a bit spooked. Read the weighting of some of my portfolio's biggest gainers. Hashtag humble break. And wonder what I should do. I've had the yips since watching my portfolio fall more than 50% of its 2021 highs with some positions going to zero. He says, I'm looking at you, Silicon Bank, bank run people. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, bank run people. I find myself with a portfolio where nine positions make up approximately 50% of my portfolio and with the top two positions making up more than 20%. I think my number one holding is priced for perfection with a 600% gain already since 2019. I'm wondering if I should trim that position. My second holding, has risen over 350% since 2019. There's a decent amount of humble bragging going here, Bernard, but I'll let you get away with it. And when I look at the fundamentals, I can't see why that price has also run so high. I watched this sort of happen with the rise of Teladoc as it became my biggest position and has now lost at least 72% of its value. My views of the business for the next five to 10 years have not changed despite what Mr. Market is telling me. So should I trim? Hold or sell, or as Rant says, it depends. <laughs> Cheers and full on, Bernard. Uh, I am going to just very quickly, mate, jump in, uh, only because Bernard. I, I uh, maybe you, you can have a different view on this, Rant. I, I, at one point he says both seem priced to perfection, but he says my views of the business for the next five to ten years have not changed, despite what Mister Market is telling me. I'm going to assume that he is saying the business itself is good, but the market's overvaluing that future, I think. Is that what you read from the question? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the business is Sorry. the business. I, 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 I'm right. assuming Bernard's saying I still I still like it. Um, I think so. But he yeah. seems to be saying it's still price perfection on that basis. Maybe the market's getting ahead of itself, I think is what he seems to be suggesting. Yep. yep. Great business, but but not sure about Yeah, price. that's a quandary. So, that's a, well, you know what's really eerie, but I don't know if you set this up, but we were just um, chatting beforehand. I did not. Exactly about 
sort of retros- retrospective were. decisions that we've made and should it have, <laughs> yeah. is it better to rebalance and, you yeah. know, sometimes it can be counterproductive, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really uh, um, mm. great question. And it's a really thorny one. Um, yep. So I guess the, the starting point would be, I, I always try and encourage people, don't bring in your current gain or loss into the consideration. Yes, good stuff. We all do that. Everyone says it. Well, I'm up this, but now this. It's like, well, <laughs> it, right. doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously yeah. it matters because that's that's what you've you've made or, or lost and you need to tell the tax man and all of that good stuff. But mm-hmm. the fact is today you've got X dollars. Yeah. And the only question is, is it better? What's the opportunity cost of leaving yeah. it here? Let's you know? assume that you sold both those positions and bought them back at today's price in exactly the same volumes. So yep. you now have no gain and no loss. You own those shares at the current value. Yep. And they could be Which anything. You could do. Could be anywhere. Right. And, and anywhere else, you know. So that's that's the way you approach it. Now, as we were mm. sort of discussing off air, where it's tricky is that <laughs> w- it started off by t- us talking about the index, the the all odds, or any Dow Jones, anyone you want to you want mention. When you look over the long term, it's really a small subset of companies that drive most of the gains. And so, I mean, mm. on a numerical lens, most companies really underwhelm over the long term. You know, we always say, oh, the market always goes up. Yeah, but most companies don't always go up. Um, in fact, it, it's periods of really just incredible returns for a small handful that sort of drive uh, everything else. It's true also of portfolios. Um, mm. So uh, I confided to you just before that when I look at my last 10-year return, um, I'm pretty happy with it, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, two things. Uh, one, it was you take away the top three winners and the, the overall picture looks incredibly different. Um, and the other one was is that in an effort to rebalance, be too worried, a little too quote-unquote clever with valuations, I can say honestly I think I made a mistake. Now, you don't know what the counterfactual is, but I'm, what I'm saying is had I just put my money into those in certain number of shares 10 years ago and then walked away and just like didn't even look at it for 10 years, I suspect I would have done better than I actually have, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. there's – and, and I'm, I'm saying that not, not saying, well, that's therefore that's what you should do, but I'm, I'm very much reminded of that. There's a lot of stories with, with people who just don't sell, Mm. And it feels reckless because obviously just as the various uh, constituents of your portfolio move around, you get to a stage where a few really dominate. You've got 30% in this stock and then I've got this massive mm. tail of all these little half percent holdings mm. as, they, mm. as, they, as they go down. But, but they tend, it tends to be a very good strategy provided, here's an important part, that you're regularly contributing to it. So as, mm. as more money, or, uh, you know, you're not re-weighting by selling and rebuying, you're re-weighting just as the, as the new injection of capital comes in, in periodically. And it feels reckless because you feel like you're just not doing anything when, when mm. some, and we, we often talk about this, like when the thesis is broken, sell. Like it's clearly yeah. busted. I bought this company for this reason. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, well, that's just part of investing. Mm. Move on and sell. But this, this approach is actually saying, no, don't, just yeah. never sell. It's also easier though to say the thesis is busted rather than the valuation is challenging. I, I find it much easier yeah, to right. sell when a business just sucks, right? Because like obviously I thought Woolies was going to, 
have a thousand masters stores around the country. That's why I bought the shares. They closed them down. Okay, thesis bust, I'm out. Mm. Or I thought RFG, Retail Food Group, was a fantastic franchise operator with uh, gold-class people who never do anything wrong. Turns out maybe that might not be the case, uh, allegedly. Mm. Um, I'm going to sell. Mm. It's a different thing when you say, this is a great business, doing really, really well. Uh, share prices up. Uh, the business, the market's recognising the value. There's no yeah. busted thesis here. In fact, the thesis is, is as strong as it ever was. But now it's a question of, well, how much is too much to pay? Or how much do I look at Mr. Market and say, I know you're offering me a, a very, 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 very full price. Do I take it? And that, I find that much, much harder personally. Yeah. Oh, you, yes, I agree. I mean, that that is much harder. But you can, you can still go so wrong. Again, lamenting to you before, it's just like the... I think I, I bought certain companies because I think, let me back up a bit here. I think when you buy a company, you've got to go in with a very clear idea of the type of investment that it is. So we always like to classify each of us as a, as a certain style of investor. But the truth is, is that you'll probably have a few different approaches in there. The one is the buy and hold bottom draw, kind of the, I don't know, the CSL, the cochlea, the whatever, you know, that's just going to be around forever. And you know, it's just really going to be a really just solid workhorse of the portfolio. I'm just not going to worry about valuation. I'll probably do pretty good over time. The other is, well, this is nothing. It's not a terror. I'm not saying buy bad businesses, but this is an okay business. A very, a perfectly decent business. It's not great. I, I, it's not something I would just set and forget forever. But my goodness, it's just so ridiculously dirt cheap at the moment. Both mm -hmm. equally mm -hmm. valid approaches. Do whatever you 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 prefer. And there's a hundred other approaches. But know what approach it is, because if mm. if that thesis and this is what happened. It actually played out for me a couple of times where it's like, yep, actually that's what I thought would happen. <laughs> mm. And then didn't sell. And I was like, wait a second, yeah. the revaluation yeah. came. Thesis, but right. but you 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 talk, you get wedded to these things and you stay mm. in it. And it, it become, the reason you're holding was not the reason that you bought. Oh, it's around and round and round in circles. It's it, uh -huh. Bernard's got like, <laughs> Bern, I wish I could give you a real, I, yeah, I think a couple it depends, of, right? He few, was right. <laughs> a few years ago, I would have just said, no, it doesn't matter what you yes. bought or sell. What's yes. your best idea now? Wait yes. appropriately. Yes. And actually, yes. I still think that's probably the core North Star of how I approach mm -hmm. it. But I'm, I'm very mindful just with my own 10 year mm. uh, uh, trailing returns and history and the form and the shape of that and the decisions that were made is that, Sometimes the, the more we tinker, even for very good and sound reasons, mm. can be counterproductive. And that's what, yeah. that's what makes all of this super, super hard. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. I, and the problem is always there are always examples for both courses of action, right? Mm. Yeah. On one hand, I've told the Domino's story a trillion times of buying at eight, selling at 13, thinking I was a genius. The share price goes to 140, I look like an idiot. Then the share price falls back to 50, so I'm still an idiot, but not as bad an idiot as I was. And if I'd held it at 140 and said, no, I'm going to hang on, then I lose two thirds of my value back to 50. I say, well, maybe I should have sold at 140. There's, you know, hindsight's always 2020. That's why this is so difficult. You can always find a, a better uh, example for whichever course of action you want to take or in hindsight could have taken. You know, I wish I had X. Now, Amazon's a great example of a company you should never, ever, ever have sold. I own shares. I bought them, unfortunately, way too late. If I bought them years earlier, I would have had a lot more money, but I didn't. Um, no, I haven't sold them. And, and they fall they fall 50% in 2022, mm. top to bottom. And they've gained some of that back. They're not back to where they were. I don't think from memory. They had a split in between, so I can't remember the prices. Uh, by the way, 
I don't have success having my portfolio. Again, th speaking of things we said off air, I could probably name about three quarters of the stocks in my portfolio off the top of my head, and I couldn't tell you what I paid for them, what the prices are now. Mm. And I've had people before on Twitter, I think I've said this before, who've said I've, I was negligent by not being able to name them. In, uh, can't, you, can't you be your top five positions in, in size order with percentages and prices? No, I literally cannot. Because it doesn't. I, it's, I buy bits of businesses and I hang on to them, and then sometimes I sell them, but most of the time I don't. And that, that's, I, you know, I like the businesses. If they're going to continue to perform, I'm, I'm stoked with that. So should you have held on to Amazon? Yes. Should you have sold G8 Education at $7 for it went to a dollar? Yes. So what do you do? Do you hang on to everything or do you sell everything? Yeah, yeah, it, it's, yeah. you know, there's always examples, examples of both. Examples for both, yep. I think, so I, we can't tell Bernard, we can't tell you what you should do. We're not allowed to give uh, personal investment advice at all. So let's, let's move, move, move past that. I will say, um, I'm going to really quickly do this, mate, because it's fun. I've got my brokerage open here. I have, hit the refresh button. All right. My largest Australian position, in fact, my Berkshire position my largest position, so I'm just looking at my Australian shares now for the fun of it. Um, my largest position is a 17% position in a single stock. Uh, the next one is 14%, sorry, 16%, and then 14%. So I have three companies that make up 46% of my portfolio. So Bernard's worried about two that make up you know, 20 and, and nine that make up 50. Um, I, now I also have ones, one, the, my smallest one is 1.45%, 1 1.28%, uh, anyway. And part of that, by the way, some of that is just the gains I've been able to make. Some of that is the, gain, the, the losses that I've suffered and, and lots in between. Um, I, so personally, for me personally, I have zero issue if I believe in the businesses letting those positions be larger than others would like. And I have to say to you really honestly, and this is where the reality of investing versus the theory of investing is, if you said, if you liquidated my portfolio today, would I put 17% of that money back in the one company? Probably not. And isn't, isn't that completely incongruous? Yes, it absolutely is. And so the way I share that is because I want to share the imperfection of this. There is no perfect answer and frankly, I don't do what I say you should do and vice versa. I don't do, I don't do what I, I say I should do. Um, do. Am I unhappy with those weightings? No, I'm really happy with those weightings. Um, yeah, I like these companies. I like owning them. I think they're good businesses. I really feel really good about owning them for the long term. If one of them falls, is it going to hurt? You betcha. If one of them goes up, is it going to feel really good? You betcha. Uh, could both happen and probably will? Yes. So, but that said, the fact, I, I, again, I, I don't want to give you personal advice burner but i will just reflect on the fact you are saying you've got the yips you've worried about your portfolio falling you'll you you mention those weightings because they're obviously on your mind you mention the fact you think the market has priced things to perfection i would suggest that a reflection on your own thoughts as you've written them and you've probably answered your own question uh, because it comes down to the sleep at night test and not only the sleep at night test now but what would a loss do to you as you say you've already got the yips because your portfolio has fallen that tells me and it probably tells you that you're really uncomfortable with that sort of thing happening. Now, no one likes losing money, but if it's impacting you, then what you're really saying is this happened before, if it happens again, I'll be really unhappy. And generally speaking, I think you probably, again, if you reread your own question, you've probably found an answer that might work for you. I'm not saying you should do it. Again, I can't tell you what you should do. What I'm saying is your language seems to give away your thoughts, your concerns, and what maybe you think might be a, a good course of action. Now, I'm not gonna sell, of those positions, I don't think any of those companies I own in those big positions are particularly, uh, one's probably reasonably fully priced. I'll tell you one of them is Solpats. Um, so again, I own it by definition because I've told you I did, so I shouldn't have to redisclose it, but I did. Um, at $33.29, literally as we speak, I don't think that's particularly cheap. 
I like it. Uh, I wouldn't even necessarily say I wouldn't buy more, but it's not super cheap. Am I going to sell it? No, because these guys have a remarkable long-term track record. Shares have been down to 20. They've been to 35, I think. They'll probably be back in the 20s at some point. Would I, should I sell and wait for that? Maybe, but maybe they never get there. Do I care enough in 40 years that I didn't sell and buy back some point in 2023? No, not at all. So I have really, these are really long-term positions that I love for the long-term. And I don't think I don't think it's so stupidly priced that I should sell. If it was, Remy asked the question about US stocks. Mm. If Solpats went to $45 tomorrow, I'd sell. Because mm. at some point, it's just like stupid prices, right? Mm. If it went to $35 tomorrow, would I sell? No. It might go back to 30 at some point. Probably, yeah. But maybe it doesn't. So I don't know. So why would I sell, you know? Uh, it's just not so obviously overpriced. I've talked about two things. You, you like my phrase, Ram, being slow to buy and slower to sell. Mm. Because I've done that with my portfolio, I'm really happy. Um, I tend to give my businesses rope and say, if they're good businesses, let them do their thing. Because they're going to create value over the long term. Why would I bother trying to pick and choose prices? And if I'm out of the stock at the wrong time, mm. you know, if, I, if I'd have you know, sold at 28, waiting for it to go back to 24 and never did and went to 34, well, now I'm a deal. Mm. I missed that. Now I have to buy back in at this price. Maybe I never do because I never get back in. But these are really good long-term businesses. Um, I don't know if that helps. I probably doesn't help Bernard. Um, well, that's. I think. It, I think it, it, that comes back to that point of understanding what you own and mm. why you own it. And there'll be some in there that you, they are the bottom drawer, like as you've painted out for for your soul pats holding. And there'll be others that were just you know um, cheap. <laughs> and 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 just just know what it is and and ask whether there's there's justification in in continuing to hold it. Um, I just a couple other thoughts on it. Um, one thing that's worth mentioning is that good companies pretty much always look expensive. So you've got to be, again, knowing what you own here. Is is this that high quality stock? It's easy to point to the Amazon and the Berkshires in the world, but you do really have to be honest with yourself and remember they are the exception. You know, most companies are not Great Amazon. Point. Really? You know, so um, uh, if it is a genuine, if you're being honest with yourself, is it a genuine super mm. high quality company, then yeah, it's probably going to feel expensive and it probably always will be. And that's, and that's fine. So just fold, fold that into your thinking. Uh, if it's mm. not, that's cool too. But just don't don't expect that you know every stock will grow into very high vol, um, multiples because statistically most most won't. So so uh, know that. Um, yep. And also just a, another um, retro. I think the retrospective on your portfolio performance is very valuable. I think we often talk about the benefits of of doing a post mortem on investments that didn't mm. go right. You know, I bought it for this reason and then these things happened and maybe I didn't react as well as I should have and this was the end result. What what did I do wrong? What can I learn from that? Um, uh, really valuable process. I also think it's equally true to look at the winners and say, well, what what did I get right there? And what of what part of that can be sort of replicated or sort of incorporated into a more consistent process? And one of the things, a bit of a, con, I don't know what is the right word, I'm more thinking out loud. Mm. When I look at my performance, the last, as I've mentioned before, the last 18 months have not been great. The average 10-year compound is, I'm very happy with, right? Yes. But it's very front-weighted. Front but that's, that's almost worth it in itself, mate. I don't, I don't want to stop you trying to thought, but that, that's... That's investing, right? That's okay. That's the point. You'll have good years, bad years, good 18 months, bad 18 months. I don't know you know this, but just for our listeners' benefit, um, that, that's, that's, that's a feature on a bargain almost. You know, it's that, that's yes. just that's normal. Yes, that's it. I'm glad you made that point, but it's not, it's not my point. And, and, okay, what's and, your point? Well, so <laughs> I'm really glad that you raised that because I think that that thinking, which is exactly mm. right, which you just outlined, 
Mm. Is uh, my my thinking lately is is that actually leading me to a mistake? And the reason for that oh, is is yeah. that it, when I and I say this is sort of like the the, the analyzing the winners and what went right. And this mm. is I also said this to you off air. I I bought some of my biggest winners. Uh, in fact, all of my biggest winners. I bought because I thought they were a good company that would perform well and the market would recognize that price. And I felt that generally speaking, because it's, it's earnings that drive prices over time, it'll be the earnings growth that drive. They'll, they'll start making more and more money, the market will recognize it and they'll get rewarded with a higher share price. Mm. Well, that happened and that was really nice. And, I, <laughs> and again, I did some regrets with sort of trying to take profits because, hey, it played out, that was the thesis, yeah, really nice. Yeah. What I didn't factor in and yet still very much benefited from was this really... Um, unusual and yet relatively long-lasting structural mm. change in market dynamics where because of this this long and persistent fall in interest rates essentially we yeah. had companies trading on multiples that were historically you know very very unusual so I, I always talk about the importance of valuation I, I bought this uh, at eight cents I felt as though this is a, a, a 20 cent stock okay it happened and uh, a bit of earnings growth was was part of that I didn't factor in the price to sales going from three to 20, right? Yeah. And so when I say, when I say, I'm very, like, I'm not complaining. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, my complaint is, oh, damn, why did, why did I sell, you know, uh, as mm, early mm. as I did or, you know, in, in the extent that I, that I did when I could have, <laughs> should have, would have done, mm. done all of this kind of stuff. But it makes me think, can I rely on that again? There was an element of good stock picking and good valuation in that. You know, I'll pat myself on the back for that. There was a massive element of luck that it turns <laughs> out that a lot of SaaS yeah. technology companies yeah. were, were undergoing structural change within their yeah. industry or, you know, that just, just went to silly valuations. And I did really well out of that. But I that was never the thesis. I never said. I never said in 2013 that oh, this stock will not only will the earnings go up, the market will now pay 50 <laughs> times the earnings for it's a million it. times. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so there, so there was. And look, you, you roll with you, you you roll with the punches. Whatever whatever mm. happens, good or bad, you 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 deal with it. But when I look mm. today, I I think it's I think it would would be unwise for me to rely on that as a tailwind going forward. In other words. Mm. Yes, it was really nice to have that that boost from <laughs> from these falling interest rates. I don't know if I would want to rely on that or expect that over the next ten years, say. And if yeah. that's the case, I just need to be mindful of that in the companies that I'm buying, the reasons I'm buying from, and the drivers of it. I think in in the there was a very there's a long period of very easy money there. Yes, it was great. Was it because I'm a genius? No, it was it was because that was right place, right time. By the way, that's an argument for always staying invested because markets just go through those periods, uh -huh. right? And you just yeah, you, great point. You, you know, so yep. it it, yep. is, it is what it is. But do you, do you know what I'm getting at here? I'm tr I'm trying I to totally sort of do. say that absolutely that that w when I look at some of the portfolios and style, uh, some of the holdings and and the styles that I employed, while very mm -hmm. good for the time, I don't know if they're a good going forward i think i think earnings and particularly free cash flows are going to be a much much more important driver at least over the medium to, to uh, longer term mm. it's really difficult there is there is no easy answer i think to your point though that's where knowing your style i i'm a i'm a buyer to hold investor i always have been i uh, you are much more the bargain hunter and i mean that in a really positive way just for anyone who knows um you're looking for businesses that just look too cheap to ignore and you know even if they're reasonably valued there's some upside there 
Uh, and you work in, you look at I definitely, part of the definitely want companies that have attractive long-term growth potential too. Of course. It's, it's of not, course. it's not just value, you know, it's. No, but it's part of, it's part of that, part of achieving that value kind of recognition. The, yes. The multiple re-rating yep. is that kind of idea of like, man, this is a great business and the market's not recognizing it. And, but at some point you, you're, 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 you have more stuff available for sale than I do, generally speaking, right? Um, yes. You're more likely to sell those things when the thesis plays out. And I think it depends on what sort of investor you are. Um, you know, again, if, if, if Bernard, if we put, you know, the names of the companies now, we say one's Amazon and we're talking about 2016, you know, it's up 600%, should I sell? Well, that's very different. If it's something else that's gone subsequently terribly, then the, the same the same is true in reverse. I think knowing what you own, knowing why you own it, knowing the sort of investor you are, as I said, everyone's different. It does strike me that Bernard is concerned about it, which is why he's asking the question, which probably tells me how he's going to feel if, if the shares move around, uh, frankly, if they fall. Um, so maybe that that might be that might be worth having a think about as well. I'm sure we've hey, just confused. A- I'm sure we just confused things so much for poor old Bernard. I'm sorry for well, such the nebulous, you know, ramblings. He, no, he he knew it. It does. It literally does depend. There is no easy answer, particularly because we don't know the companies. Even if we did, we might be able to help him. But it's just there is no, you know. I think. I think I, I, yeah, just to tie it all off, though, I think one one of the yes, key please. things in musing on as you reflect on anything of that that may have may not have been of value is just the core thing is I think you got to really try and you do have to try it takes a lot of effort to be very honest with yourself mm. in 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 framing these things up because that if, yeah. if you start with a poor starting point or a, a you know um, a falsely um, constructed axiom mm. to begin with everything that follows is going to be wrong so really make sure <laughs> when you say when you say oh this is a yep. and I'm not I'm having a yes. go at you but we all we, we were talking again about mm-hmm. this you oh no mm. this is a really great company well it is because yeah. you own it that's why you think that you, yeah, if you're looking at it with fresh eyes maybe not so yeah. just make sure you have that honesty it's it's 100%. hard to do but it's important 100% hey Ben's got a question for us a very very different type of question it's very specific but it gives us a chance to do a little tiny bit of investor education as well as answering Ben's question he says hi Scott and Andrew I received a non-renounceable entitlement offer from Next DC. I first had to do some research online to understand what that meant and have established it means they are non-transferable and cannot be traded on the ASX or any other exchange. Use it or lose it. Nor can they be privately transferred, correct. I've also learnt that by not taking up the offer, my current shares will be diluted as more shares are added. Absolutely true. Correct. So let's just, I want to go back actually after that. We haven't uh, gone through this, Ben, but so a non-renounceable entitlement offer basically says the company's going to raise some money and it's going to raise some money from every shareholder by saying, you can all buy some shares from, from you know, some more shares we're going to issue. If you don't, that's cool, you don't have to, but there's no value to you in doing it. And if you don't, your ownership stake will be diluted because there's more shares out there. You own the same number of shares. You own less of the company. So there is a bit of a gun to the head in this one. I, re- I hate non-renounceable entitlement offers with a passion, which we'll get to in a second. But basically they're saying, you know, if you don't use them, you, don't, you, you lose them. Uh, it's an offer, so you don't have to take it up. But just know that there's a, you know, the company's going to raise money either way. So, so, you know, be prepared. So Ben says, apart from the dilution, I'm struggling to understand why I would take the offer. And this is Ben where you've got a little bit wrong. So I will ask Ben's question, but the rest of the listeners and Ben, just uh, don't, don't take this for, for, for granted because we'll explain why. If the new shares are non-tradable, what's the purpose? I plan on holding my shares for a long time, but if I can never trade them, it feels like I'm just giving away money forever with no benefit to me. Maybe I'm missing something, i.e. eventually the sales shares do become available to trade or the company buys them back. But after reading the offer booklet and the internet, I cannot find an answer to that question. Thanks for your commitment to the podcast every week. I really enjoy listening to it on my walks. That's from Ben. 
Now, Ben, I will start this one around. You are almost 100% right, Ben. The, the, the offer itself is not transferable, but the shares, once you purchase them, are absolutely available for sale, just the same as your current shares are. And where that's probably got you confused and very reasonably, some rights offers can be transferred, can be sold on the market. So the company could have had a renounceable entitlement offer, which lets you get money if you don't take the shares, or an offer that, is la- that can be traded on the market. So you could sell me that opportunity to buy those next DC shares. That makes it transferable, but it's the offer itself that's not transferable. As Ram's already said, use it or lose it. If you do use it and get the shares, those shares are absolutely available for sale. Now there's a date at which they become available for sale, but it's not it's days after- 8th of June in this instance. There you are. Uh, so yes, you can absolutely sell those shares. The question for you is, do you want to put more money into Next DC? Do you, and it could be any company, by the way, it happens to be in this case Next DC. Uh, do you want to increase your exposure to Next DC? Been, I've had, and there's other versions of this, share purchase plans, there's all sorts of stuff. If you, a share purchase plan is exactly the same thing, by the way. If Ram can take advantage of the share purchase plan and I can and I choose not to, I get diluted by that as well. So it's not as unusual. It's, this particular structure of entitlement offer is different from a, a share purchase plan or something else. But um, there are very, there are other times companies just raise money from institutions, you never get a chance to, to not be diluted. So there's lots of versions of this where companies raise money, you don't always get the chance to participate or want to participate. And that's completely okay because yes, you're diluted, but the question should be, in my mind, not will I be diluted by next, next DC holdings, but what is the best use of any cash I have? Do I want to buy next DC shares? If you do, great. If you don't, well, don't be talked into it just because the company's making you an offer. Ram? Yeah, I think that's all very true. Um, in this instance, I just had a quick look at the Prezo. It's a one for eight. So that's... Right. So in other words, you get one right for every eight shares that you own. So mm-hmm. I fully executed across the register. It's not a it's not an insignificant amount of dilution. Twelve percent dilution, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's pretty it's pretty reasonable. But Is you're your offer right. price there, mate? Uh, ooh, I just navigated away. Sorry. Uh, Sorry, my bad. It will be ten dollars eighty per new share. Right. So here's the thing: the shares are currently twelve dollars and nine cents. So now we're starting to talk about: Do you want to be diluted or not? Maybe. If you could buy shares at ten dollars eighty and they're currently $12.09, maybe you're getting them at a discount, maybe you're not. The company shares, we don't know what the shares will trade at once the new shares are issued. A lot of people take up the offer and then sell them, so the share price can fall. Don't assume just because it's now $12.09 that they won't go below ten eighty at some point. But if they don't, it's almost free money, right? If the shares never trade below 12 bucks, you go to buy them for ten eighty, then... There's some upside there as well. So there's lots of different reasons you might want to do it. Sorry, Ram, you keep going. Yeah, um, no, so there's there's also, yeah, and there's this, theor- they, you'll see in their material the thing called the TERP, the Theoretical X Rights Price, which says all else being equal, this this $10.80 price will be a 7.5% discount to that price. In other words, accounting for, mm-hmm. for some of the dilution. Mm-hmm. So it's still mm-hmm. at, a, at a bit of a discount there. But um, it's not it's not as big as you think and i've got to have a look at the calculation and the way that they have done that but i think the exact the exact wrong way to do it is to look for the quick buck i mean think this think this through from a game theory lens right we've lots of people have got the opportunity to do this and if the play is get your rights and then dump it on market well guess what that premium that you sort of see and expect isn't there because because everyone sells mm. and buyers pull back because they know this is sort of happening. So again, there's this self, 
sort of correcting or feedback mechanism in, in markets where this easy, free money thing is actually not as easy and free as, as you might think. So I, I, would, I would caution people uh, against that. And I would also say too, just as a matter of preference and style, give me a renounceable rights offer any day. Yes, correct. It's fair. They're, they're the only ones. That, yeah, correct. It's exactly fair. It's fairer to me. Like, so it's, yep. it's like, look, we're raising money. Um, anyone yep. who's a shareholder has got the right to, we can all buy the same amount in proportion. Yes. And that's that's yes. okay, really cool. I don't want to or I can't. Maybe I don't have any money. It's like, oh, that's cool. But you can give it to someone else who, who, who does want that. And you, and you can trade. In fact, you can sell that for money, right? It's like a, an options contract. It, can you Just, sell a renounceable rights offer or does it have to be a, an option? Because I have a feeling they're different. I don't think renounceable you just oh, get the money if you don't take it up. Sorry. Well, actually, you're right. But you get value, right? That's the point. Yes, you it's, get some value. It's like right. yes, I, I, will, I, yes. I don't want to take up the offer. It offsets any potential dilution and it doesn't, yeah. doesn't screw it's, you. It's yes, a much so. fairer way of doing it. So yep. I just as, yep. as, a, yeah, if, as a preference, that's the way I would go. But do you yep. get what point I was making there on the on, – 100%. Yeah. Don't, don't just do it because it's at a discount now. I mean, next DC might can raise all this money and just completely in, invest it really terribly <laughs> and blow right. it all up and the thing's yeah. at $2. Or, or they, not, by they, the way. Or, it could be, it, yeah. No, well, they, they get to, look, they're, they're raising this money for a reason. Mm. I haven't read far mm. enough mm. through it, but I, I assume they're going to be investing that money with the hope of a very attractive rate of return. And guess what? If they get a really attractive rate of return and you don't take up the rights issue, you're still going to be okay, right? Because the dilution will be offset by the, by the um, realised um, returns mm. on that mm. investment. Mm. So There's yeah. one more too many in between that, which is they could use the money, use it really, really, really well, but the shares are actually only worth $5 now anyway. Yes, right. So it's another wrinkle. Yeah. So, it's, you know, you, you, I mean, look, if you own the shares, you probably like it. You probably think it's good value and all that kind of stuff. This is a $5.8 billion company on a P of 1,600 times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you like it, great. And you probably do love it because you own it and it's probably done well for you, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, 1080 is a discount to $12.09. Uh, there's plenty of companies that would have raised money in the last 18 months, tech companies, <laughs> at whatever discount to the then prevailing share price that ended up being double what the current share price is. And so it's it's always, you've got to ask yourself, what do you think these shares are worth? Worth, not selling for, not available for, worth. If it's a $15 company, you buy for 1080, go for it. If it's a $5 company, you buy for 1080, even though the share price is currently 12, then you're probably playing, you know, you're playing chicken a little bit. Now, there is no way to know for sure, but that's why the, the question is about. It's a really, really good question, Ben. Thank it, you for asking. It, this, is, this is the only sort of like a mailbag Q&A pod where you're going to leave with more questions than you, than you came with. <laughs> you're welcome, Lister. I just want to ask this question and now you, all you've done is throw a bunch of other questions back at me. Um, yeah. It depends. Can I just look? I, don't, I haven't looked at Next DC for a while, but um, you just got me thinking there when you're talking about the PE here. So it's always worth understanding, again, what do you own mm. here? And mm. data centers are, cost a lot of money to build. You need a big plot of land, you need lots of air conditioning, lots of racks, lots of things. And then you build all this and then you've got to get customers for it. And the first person who buys a bit of rack space is really not even covering your basic costs, not even near mm-hmm. it. Right? So there, correct. There is, there is. I would again. Great I'm, for them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, but I'm sure mm. the argument would be. Um, the uh, the PE multiple is so high because a lot of this investment mm. has gone out as capacity yeah. rises. And don't forget, these are very fixed costs largely. So so as occupancy rises, like a childcare center or a nursing home or anything like that, you pass this magic threshold where now you've got enough mm. subscribers, users, whatever, that cover all <laughs> of that. And then the rest is 100% margin that just drops to the bottom line, more or less. Yeah. And yeah. as these, look, they're saying- 
there's a huge demand for data centers. This is the way the world is going. Mm. We've got an opportunity here for all of these sites. We can throw all this money at it. All the money is out the door on day one. But once that starts, that, that's the gamble here, I suppose, if, for want of a better term, but that, that the occupancy will be filled at a rate that you are confident that you can achieve. And if that's the case, it's probably going to be a, a wonderful use of funds and, and shareholders will be glad that they tipped more money in to help, help the business sort of achieve that. But that's, that's more the thinking here. That's, that's more the thinking rather than, rather than whether it looks cheap relative to, to the TERP price mm. or to the mm. current market price or, or any of these other kinds of factors here. Because if, if this comes off, then again, are you really, even if it's a full 10, 12% dilution that you end up, up copying it, but, but they manage to mm. now get, boost their return on equity and their equity, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, you'll be glad of it, right? So that, that's the mm. fundamental question at play here. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's ask a question from Drew who says, Hi Scott and Andrew, thank you for your outstanding podcast. Drew said it ran, not me. I just I can only pass it on. I, I have listened to every episode from the start. Man, that is commitment. Thank you, Drew. And it gave me the confidence I needed to get started investing. There you go. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I really believe my investing That's journey, cool. yes, including all my mistakes, will literally pay dividends for my family's future. I am hoping, he says, that my long-term loyalty will allow me to ask a personal question to you both. Though hopefully not too personal, as you have both talked about this on the podcast before. Scott... You have mentioned you have an SMSF. Andrew has talked about being in an industry or retail fund. Mm. I would have expected it to be the other way around, given your investing styles. So I'd love to know the reasons why you are both set up this way. I have a wrap fund, says Drew, that allows me to direct in, directly invest in individual companies. But frustratingly, only the ASX 200. No small caps, no international shares. And I've not found any similar fund that would allow me to invest in anything else. Andrew is someone who focuses on small caps. How do you invest inside your super and why would you not have an SMSF? Scott, what has your experience been with an SMSF and who would you recommend it to? You've mentioned that it can be a lot of paperwork. What exactly is involved? Your great chat with Meg Heffron made me think a lot about the idea that as our super grows, so do our percentage-based fees. At some point soon, our own super fees will overtake the administration costs of an SMSF. So I'm starting to consider switching purely on a fee basis but with a bonus of flexibility to invest in whatever we choose. And as a bonus question for Scott, you have also mentioned having cash in a savings account, but you also have a home loan. Why would you not use an offset account? Wouldn't you hashtag get a better rate? <laughs> Thanks guys and hashtag fool on from Drew. And then Drew finishes with PS. What is the Motley Fool? Ah, well, Drew, good man, Drew. It's a private online investment club, obviously. <laughs> no, it's not. We, we give uh, stock advice to individual investors, Drew, or as I prefer to call them, retail investors. <laughs> Just get up Andrew's nose. Um, thank you, Drew. Great question and, and love the PS. Mate, um, okay, let's start with you. Yeah. Why do you not have an SMSF? Given the flexibility, given the opportunity to invest in your favorite little small caps, uh, why, not, why not take the plunge? The sad truth is I, I don't have the funds in super to justify it. That's the truth. There you go. You know, um, yeah, I don't have enough money. <laughs> I, 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 in starting a business, I mean, I had five years almost without a salary. Mm. There was no money going into super at that time. I've liked, I've, right or wrong, I've kept a lot of money outside of super. I could have contributed mm. a lot more, but because, yeah. you know, you have this crazy startup which is sucking money. <laughs> you need a bit of a buffer that's, that's sort of yeah. there. 
So there was sort of that personal situation around it. If I had a million bucks in super, yeah, mm-hmm. hell yeah, I'd do SMSF. Don't right, forget right, about right. it. I'm always flattered that people assume that I do have millions. Like, I don't. I'm <laughs> renting here, right, people. This is, <laughs> this is there's not a Maserati out the front. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the that's the cold hard truth of the matter. Um, so at the point in time at which the fees make sense, do you intend to switch? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm I'm with Australian Super, um, mm. the member direct option. So again, I can I can choose yeah. amongst I think the ASX 300 with mine or whatever. Plus some ETS from memory. So I can still do I can still scratch yeah. that more stock picking itch <laughs> through Super and do and do. Mm. Mm. But the, you know what? Actually, within that, it, it's it's a very ETF heavy Super. Because it's sort of, I, I get to, I get to have all the challenge, fun, reward of stock picking outside of that. This stuff is, look, I don't think I'll have too many regrets if, in you know, I'm 48, so I'll probably be around working for another 20 years or something like that. Mm. And all I get in my super is just the average market return over that period. I'm probably, I'm not, it's not the world's greatest problem, right? No, I could have, would have, should have, if I kept it all out or if I'd just been more active there where I had been, I mean, maybe I could have gotten a little bit more and all the rest of it. It's just, it's just uh, a very mm. easy, low admin, low cost kind of option. Mm. And uh, I'll, I'll chase the dreams outside of it. Nice, nice. I... Um so, you, so Drew, you ask two questions. What's my experience? Who would I recommend it to? But you also ask about why uh, I'm set up this way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really, really, really honest. I am not sure if I have my time again whether I go on SMSF, and probably for the reasons you, you mentioned, Drew. Um, the vast bulk of my companies are in the ASX 300 anyway. Uh, the ones I own, um, I have US stocks. So, but that's not that's actually outside super. I don't own any US stocks inside my superannuation fund. Uh, there are many more options now. Oh, sorry, I said if I started again. The other, thing, excuse me. The other thing is there's more opportunity now to Vanguard's personal super account and that kind of stuff. I fully expect in five years' time there'll be platforms that that allow you to have almost full flexibility with relatively low fees. The biggest challenge for those big institutional guys and why they're limited to the ASX 300, part of it's liquidity and risk. Um, they are the trustees of the fund, so even though you want to make your own decisions, this gets technical pretty quickly. As the SMSF, so I am both a member of my fund and the trustee of my fund. And that's not the same thing. And it's not even the same person. I can't even say, well, I'm both, so that's okay. I have two distinct legal roles in that super fund. As a member, I can say to the trustee, make me a lot of money. As the trustee, I have to say, I'm responsible for a reasonable, appropriate investment of that cash on behalf of the member for that member's retirement. And the fact it happens to be the same person is a bit of a mess with your head, but there's a different obligation. now. If I choose to invest my SMS irresponsibly, I'm actually legally responsible as the trustee for things I actually should be doing or not doing as a as an individual, right? As 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 the trustee. That's my job is to make sure the fund is invested appropriately. Even if as a member, I won't want something different. Now, by the way, there's a whole lot of SMSFs who probably arguably aren't doing that right now. And it's a very, very hard thing to prove what's responsible, what's irresponsible, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. But that, that's the reality. If you're a super fund, even Australian Super with a direct investing option, you're still the trustee. And your obligation is still to make sure that the funds are invested appropriately. So they have rules around what you can do because they take that trustee responsibility seriously, as they should. If it's taken off them, they don't exist. So they have to <coughs> they have to make sure the money is invested what they believe is responsibly and appropriately. At the same time, 
there are also costs with that. The, the fact they can be so low cost is because they're not executing little five, 10, $15 trades over and over and over and over again. They're making big lump sum trades with big lump sums of cash. They're, they're balanced option. Uh, every time you know, every time they get a hundred thousand dollars worth, worth of contributions for their members, they buy a certain number of shares and a certain number of companies. That's how they do it. Uh, when I want to, you know, put, a, you know, make a hundred dollar purchase of a, uh, you know, some little specky biotech, I don't do that, of course, as you know. Uh, if I got, if they, if they incur twenty dollars worth of trading costs, then that costs them more money and they can't keep the cost down. So those two factors are at play when it comes to why they don't offer more. I think that'll that'll break down as things get cheaper to do, by the way. But that's kind of why and what's going on there. Mm. Um, I have honestly considered, reasonably recently, going into Australian Super's direct investment option or going to Vanguard Personal Super. Um, the and part of the reason is you ask what the paperwork is. It's not super complex, quite honestly. Uh, there's a tax return you have to do every year. You have to allocate the trades in the paperwork to you know, cash in, cash out. You got to pay tax bills. Um, you've got to get documentation and keep documentation on the trades, the dividends. Um, now, it's all in my system. It's all done automatically, but you have to basically allocate them. It's a boring process, but you have to do it. Um, you have to have an investment strategy. You have to have a meeting of the, the trustees of the fund. You, lots of so my wife and I are both trustees of the fund. Um, you have to do all that stuff. And it's just a pain, honestly. It's just My life is busy enough as it is. I just don't need it. Um, would I invest differently? Yeah, because I have individual stocks currently. But if I went to a direct investment option and I get 85% of the same result, would I do it? Probably, yeah. Really, like that's the thing. So I'm not miles away from kind of just throwing the whole thing in and doing it. Uh, now, it's interesting because plenty of people say, well, you know, uh, the Motley Fools pick stocks and so we want to attract and have people with SMSF so they can do it in their, their, their funds. Most of our services, not all, most of our services would allow you to, to you know, reflect most of that in your SME, in your direct super investment rather than just an SMSF. So I could do it, you could do it. Uh, I don't really care whether members have SMSFs or not. Combination of direct SMSF, direct super and their own money outside super. I think our services are perfect for that and I think you can do it anyway. So yeah, that, that's the honest answer, mate. Um, I The fees are probably important as, you, as it gets bigger. But again, as I said before, the fees are coming down across the board with investment options and Vanguard, Personal Super and Australian Super's direct investment. They, they get pretty cheap pretty fast. Um, I wouldn't, you couldn't make me invest my super in a retail fund, um, but a cheap, big, low cost industry fund is, is perfectly good. Uh, I'm not sure as I didn't, I didn't maybe uh, go too far in one direction in, in setting up an SMSF. I, I'm not sure if I have a time again, I wouldn't seriously consider staying with, with some industry super fund. Mm. Yeah. Any more on that, mate? No, I hope that, I hope that helps. Um, in terms of Drew's comment about cash in a savings account, I think I might have just... I think I might. I'm not sure if I said saving cut specifically, or if I did, I might have just been. Um, I might have just been uh, using the term, you know, uh, indirectly. Um, cash in a savings account, unless. So, why would you use a cash a savings account rather than a, rather than offset? A couple of answers. Um, if you had the cash set aside for a particular purpose, you might do it that way. If you were budgeting for something, you might do it that way. Otherwise, offset account's perfect. Um, Generally, would you get a better rate? Yes, you absolutely would. So, you know, as long as you can, as long as you can budget appropriately using an offset account, plenty of people will use the offset. And why do the banks like it? Because we all think <laughs> we're going to put money in there, and then we use it because we can. Look at all that money in the offset account. It's a credit card. Offset account. Thing, right? An offset right? account is a line of credit. Let's call it for what it is. Correct. Correct. Well, I mean, it's, it's your own money, so it's kind of not necessarily directly. But if you use it that way, then yeah, you end up no, using not, more, spending not, more than you would otherwise. It's not your money. They 
you, they gave you a bunch of money to, to buy a house with. You paid some of that house. You owe them a bunch of money. You pay some of yeah. that back, not all of it back. Yes. But they just say, well, if you want to take it out again, you can. So it's like- no, that's redraw. That's redraw, not offset. I'm talking offset specifically. But can't with offset account, the money I've got in an offset, I can take out, right? I can do what I yes. like with it. Yeah. But it's, but, it's, but, it's not, but it's my money. If I, if I get paid and I put my pay directly in an offset account, it's my money, not the effective The effective action of it though is to reduce the principal amount that interest is being calculated on. So yes. Yep. So it's kind of paying off the debt, right? It's, just, it's, it's there. It's offsetting the interest. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yes, and and, yep. and it yep. just, yep. but but what you, to your point, I mean, you just nailed it. Why is it there? Because it's there and you can use it, right? If, if, you, yes, if the only option the was just to, to, to repay it, <laughs> then you would have to like apply for a, another yeah. loan to do it. So that's correct. Or a redraw or something else. Exactly yeah. why it's right. there. Yep. I'm not, uh, so, yes, I'm not no, saying I, I wouldn't use it, by the way, either. I mean, it's yeah, sort of yeah, like, yeah. great, right? It gives you that flexibility. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's, there's, there mm -hmm. people are wrong for using it. I would, I would absolutely yeah. uh, use it. <laughs> but I would also try and pay, have, have as much, any cash that I have would absolutely be parked in there. Correct. Unless yeah, unless you had a particular use for a particular... Um, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't imagine a scenario where you would have money in different places for the sake of it, but... Yeah, you might for budgeting reasons or for something else. And I guess I would have it there really and for my mentally I'd just be considering it a repayment of the principal because that, that's, yeah. that's the return that I'm oh, getting. Well, it depends on that. though, right? Like you, if you if you like for example, you get most people have their salary paid directly to the offset account. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 and that maximizes. If you just said I'm just going to put in the extra amount I would otherwise have repaid, yeah. that's different. If you're using if you if you're mainly adding money into it as a way of paying off paying down the mortgage, then you're absolutely right in your example. But most people will say, I pay, or everything goes into the offset, or my salary goes in. So every dollar yep. is is being used that way. It's, is it a, is it a? Uh, but it's only being used until really you spend it again. So it has Correct. it has a Correct. marginal difference, and that's a good one. And yes. you should definitely yes. again. I'm not, I'm not saying people are doing anything wrong. Yeah. yeah. But it, it it is it is yeah it's. It's only really when you work out the mass. It's a it's a marginal, I would imagine, difference by just having a bit of money in there for the week until I Mo spend monthly it. cash flow. Correct, exactly. Yeah. Yes, right. Yes, and, and so once yeah, you have absolutely. more money to pay off, yeah. I agree with you, Matt. I one, so I would I would split it three ways. One is the monthly back and forth is worth nothing. I mean, it's something, but it's not not you mm. don't bother. Um, I wouldn't put rainy day money in uh, in on a mortgage. Have a have a separate. So to, actually, to answer to answer your question, Drew. I would have rainy day account money. Well, if you want to live in the offset, go for it. But yeah, pay down anything else. Otherwise, all you're doing is tempting yourself to use it. Yeah, if, you've got a, if you've got a half million dollar mortgage yeah. and $400,000 in the offset, pay the money off the mortgage and have a $100,000 mortgage. Don't, don't pretend you're going to leave it there and then maybe... Because at some point, they, they equalize. Right? Let's say at some point you have a $425,000 mortgage and $425,000 in the offset, just to go with my example. I mean... Uh, what would you use that money for other than pay the mortgage off? And if you're not going to, then yeah, you know, it's it's a bit of false economy at some level. So as I say, yeah, it's a, right, it's right a, it becomes levels. a credit card at that point. I'm just I'm just yeah, lending correct. against the house. And fine, I'm not even correct. judging on that. But that's I think I think with those lump sums, it, correct? Yeah, yes. history will suggest that when there is a pot of money within easy reach, yeah. <laughs> you will probably use Human it. And I'm not saying don't use it. Money is there to be enjoyed and and to be spent. But it's just yeah. where you yeah. there is something that is incredibly. Yeah empowering to be debt free and to mm -hmm. not have that that ongoing monthly cost you know that's the return right that that is yeah. the return is that you are mortgage interest free right you just you live yeah. in your house and you've got some basic maintenance and rates and that's it that's a pretty mm -hmm. good return yeah correct correct um yes we're done hey a question from bryce hi gents before my question I thought, oh dear, I'd like to report an interesting side effect of listening to your episodes hmm. while I do the yard work. 
I'm not sure where this is going. I should have pre-read this. It seems like I have trained myself to feel better about my long-term financial security when I am pushing a lawnmower, regardless of whether or not I am actually hearing your advice. <laughs> Maybe something like a Pavlov's fool. <laughs> that's, it. that's fascinating, Bryce. I'm, I'm glad that mowing makes you feel better about your finances, mate. That's, that's a win for everybody. Um, uh, that may be about you. It may be about us. I'm not entirely sure, but I like it. My question, he says, is one I've been circling on for a few weeks now. I haven't been investing for long, but I have an interest in micro cap, even nano cap businesses. While I learn about being a better judge of their value myself, I really enjoy listening to my favorite micro cap fund managers chat about their favorite stocks and why they like them. Recently, after hearing you discuss PE valuations, I was doing some exercises and bumped into Shine Justice Limited. I'm vaguely aware it has a checkered past, but has a PE of close to four, sits on a lowly straw man company rank of 603, apparently. Mm. By comparison, XRF Scientific, currently sitting in the one, number one spot on straw man, with a similar market cap, has a PE of around 25. I know it's never going to be as simple as just researching which company is most popular on whatever website or which company has the most attractive PE. My issue is if I was some sort of hypothetical gazillionaire shopping for businesses, how could I justify purchasing XRF over Shine? Ignoring the share price, I can't figure out how one business who could pay for itself with its current earnings in four years is so much less popular than one that would take 25. Is it really just the market sentiment on growth potential which has both businesses separated so far from each other? I feel like I'm missing something big and simple. But in the spirit of Mr. Page's advice, have decided to ask the dumb question. Please help me square this circle in quotes, which I think is a reference to uh, one of your favourite sayings around. Love it. Um, it's a really good one, mate. It's I mean, a great one. versions of this before. Uh, I don't know either of these companies well enough to actually have a view, mate. I'm not sure if you do. I know XRF pretty it's well. A, it's a very good question. You know, four times in 25 times earnings. Uh, a lot can go wrong with the business on four times. A lot has to go right with the business on 25 times. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a it's a fascinating fascinating question to ask. I wish I knew. I'm not going to be able to do the the, the value to your question, Bryce. So I don't know those businesses well enough. Uh, Ramos XRF Scientific, which is great, but it's not necessarily about the one business. It, it kind of it makes it hard to answer because you know knowing more about one than the other probably is maybe it's a better quality business. But a lot can go wrong with a company in a PE of four and still you still make money, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, and I don't know Shine that well, um, but you, the I think there's. Um, we need to correct the, the premise of the question here to say one, okay. would, one would take 25 years to pay off, one would take four years to pay off. Mm -hmm. That's true if both of these companies mm -hmm. continue to earn exactly what they earned last year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? So there's, there's yeah. the clue because XRF is a business that mm -hmm. um, – I'm just trying to look it up now. Their net profit after abnormals, they weren't even making a million dollars in 2017. Uh, now they're over $6 million as of last financial year. Um, mm. You just, again, for whatever it's worth, the, the consensus guidance on Comsec is for XRF's per share earnings to grow by 40% over the next few years. Shine Lawyer, again, take it with a grain of salt. The analysts there are saying basically flat earnings for the next yep. few years. Now, yep. but they, but those might be completely wrong, but that's the bet. And that's what the, that's what the market is saying to you. The market mm. is sort of saying, actually, and You've probably got to look out a bit further than that, but they were saying actually over a 10-year period, I'm actually probably going to get much more money back out of XR. It will pay itself back much quicker than Shine because the each year the earnings will be growing more and more and more and more. 
That's why you that's why you pay a home multiple. You and me have both got a lemonade stand. Every every week, you know, you you pull in ten bucks. I do two for the first week. The next week you're still on ten bucks, then I'm making twenty bucks and then thirty bucks and then forty bucks. Now, yeah. with anyone who had any confidence in our different lemonade entrepreneurism. Um, and <laughs> yeah. at the start, you say, which which one do you want to buy shares in? Scott's offering shares in his business for five times earnings. I'm offering it to you for 10. Yeah, I mean, mine sounds a lot more expensive, but but look look at the look at the difference in cash flows relative to those cash flows. I'm actually much cheaper. So that's again, I don't want to, I'm not I'm not trying to say that therefore buy XRF. I'm not saying that. But that <laughs> that is that is how you square the circle. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, mate. I've not looked at Shine in a million years. Um, I'm trying to find why the market hates it. I actually can't. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how to best answer Bryce's question. Um, and the reason I say that is because, and you're absolutely right, mate, in terms of um, it's, it's the future that matters. That, that, that's, the, that's the answer to your question, Bryce. But there is also an element of, and, and this is, you know, we talked just literally before, about trying to find stuff the market's missing. Uh, for what it's worth, I'm looking on Comsec here. I don't think I'm giving away too much in the way of uh, proprietary information from Comsec. So, apologies to the good people at CBA if I am. Uh, but if I look at the uh, at the business itself, uh, there's a there's two different. I won't name what they are. I'll tell you one. The, the consensus uh, uh, view on Shine is a strong buy. There's only one research analyst covering it that Comsec reports, but a strong buy. They also have some other research there from a particular entity that considers undervalued and the fair value twice the current share price. Now, that's a pretty that's a pretty big, you know, uh, opportunity. It's currently paying a dividend yield of 8.3% and for the last 3 years, 4 years, 3 years, earnings have grown year on year on year. Now, those earnings are still less than they were in 2015, so that might tell you something. And by definition that means they've spent the last 6 years below that level. So, you know, what's a reasonable level of earnings? If earnings was to halve from here, the PE goes to eight. Now, again, not particularly expensive, but that's kind of what you look like. Uh, and so it's worth asking yourself, you know, what a company needs to do right or wrong and how likely you think that is as to whether or not it's worth your investment. I don't see anything to hate about Shine. I'll give, you, so, I'll give you something. Know. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, please. So I, I wasn't familiar with it either. And and uh, they're right. It doesn't rank high. It's like, yeah, it's, um, that doesn't rank well on Strawman. But people have added mm. some comments uh, which okay. probably, so shout out to a couple of members here. Hack of all trades, uh, great name by the way. <laughs> says um, uh, there's a short report out against them, so that that okay. that would explain it. There was a big blow up a few years ago in terms yeah, of was, what yeah. they call WIP accounting, work in progress accounting. Yes. <laughs> so as yeah. uh, RH eight one seven eight on Strawman points out, this is a no win no fee business. So if yes. they don't win, they don't get paid. So they have all this work in progress. So if we are going to get paid and we're going to get paid this amount, we're going to average this out over the period that we're working it on. And it's all an accounting measure. It's not actual real cash flows. Money's not going to show up unless they win. And they're not going to win yep, every, yep, every yep. kind of case. So that's not a bad, I mean, you just, you've, got to be very, you've got to be very aware of the accounting that's being used here. Mm. So my, uh, uh, the summary would be a company that has not covered itself in glory in the past. So there's some mistrust yeah. from the market. They've, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to speak ill of them because as far as I mm. know, they've probably got new management team in place. They've seen the founder religion and they've, they've turned things around. It absolutely could be possible. <laughs> and by the way, isn't that, that, that's what you're looking for as an investor where the market is overly that's, down yes, on something, exactly. right? So exactly, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want anyone to walk away from saying, oh, Andrew hates it or loves it. I don't, I don't either because I don't, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, in either way, because I, I don't know it well enough. But, 
but I'm putting the thesis out there as, as I've seen it, which is, yeah, a, 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 a bad history, some very, um, some accounting that while appropriate is subject to all kinds of revisions and, and changes. And a, someone's put a short report out, which no doubt makes a whole bunch of very bearish cases against it. Now, if they're all wrong to, to sort of, if, if this work in progress accounting has actually been estimated well, and if they have a good win rate, um, and uh, if some of these aspects, you know, and, and, and the, the, the trust is regained by the market, yeah, it's probably normalizes to even a PE of 10, something, something like that, and you'll, you'll, you'll do extremely well. Or it turns out that all of this, this accounted for <laughs> profit never emerges, all of these issues were lurking in the shadows, and, and that's, that's your job. So we, we can't give you that advice, and I don't think either of us yeah. have nearly done the work to, to even get close to that. But that hopefully gives you a starting point on what to look into. 100%. Really good summary, mate. I can't, I can't do any better than that other than just to say that as you made the point, uh, you know, you're looking for a different perspective to the market. If, if, if there's other things are already fairly valued, then there's no upside. So your question is to ask yourself which, if it, and maybe both these businesses, you know, maybe, maybe Shine is too you know, hairy, too many hairs on it, and maybe XRF is too expensive, and you ignore both. That's completely cool too. I don't mm-hmm. think you need to necessarily, you're not necessarily saying either or, um, but you're right to highlight the two and say what's going on. There is absolutely, I, I don't want to say this about Shine or XRF in particular, certainly not about Strawman, but there is just, there, there is a very real reality, can I say real reality? Probably not, about sentiment. Right, sentiment, yeah. sentiment drives up and down. There's some um, great businesses that market hated for a while for lots of reasons. Uh, again, I, everyone knows I own corporate travel management. He got smashed by a short report, 2019 maybe around, I think, um, for a while. And, and it, was just, it was just sentiment. Right? The results weren't any different. It was just the market was expecting bad things. Didn't happen, but could have. Uh, other times, markets expecting good things. Other stocks, Domino's $140. Market expects good things. Goes to 50. I own those shares, again, as everyone knows. Um, you know, it falls by two thirds. Is the business any worse? No, but the market was expecting a whole lot better than it did. So you've got to you've got to think about sentiment absolutely. But and this is this is where investing is hard. You've talked, Bryce. You ask about four times and twenty five times. Even allowing RAM for flat earnings, you don't even necessarily get that money back. Yes. Because the market you, you, at the moment shines dividend deals eight percent, which is good. But that takes you twelve years to get your money back if you're just waiting on the cash flows. Mm. Now, can it be that good for twelve years? Yes. If you get your money back after twelve years, you're still going to earn more than that. So in year thirteen, you finally make a dollar. If if the market never pays you more than four times earnings, then you spend a lot of time getting averageish returns for a long time. That might be okay. Maybe it goes to ten, as Ram says. Maybe maybe though at the same time XRF goes to thirty five, or it stays at twenty five but sales go through the roof and shine just ticks along. Uh, so there's lots and lots and lots of questions to answer. One of the most frustrating things about valuation for me, mate, is there's no cast iron rule that says a company has to trade at its fair value eventually. If Shine, if Shine could be a really great business. The short report could be wrong. The work in progress can could be perfect. Over time, they could be really profitable. And the market could never pay more than four times. Mm-hmm. And that would be unusual and it would suck, but it could be Well, that's, be that's tobacco yeah. stocks. They, they perpetually right. trade at very right. low multiples. Yeah. Great example. On the flip side, XRF could fall to 12 times earnings and the share price halves. Could go to 40 times earnings and the share price almost doubles and profit may not change. Mm. And again, or, or the same could happen with Shine. Shine go to two times earnings too, by the way. There's no, there's no, there's no guarantees any of that happens. So it, it, it's why it's hard because you can't say, eventually I will get that money. If the dividend doesn't get, doesn't get paid, the PE doesn't matter. 
unless someone else says, I think it's worth to Rams point 10 times earnings at some point. And then you're sweet because you made two and a half times your money and you're a genius. But if it stays at four times earnings by 2028, then all you've got is a dividend, which is lovely, but you won't necessarily get the value that you perceive. If XRF continues to grow and the share price grows, then that could be the better investment. It is it is a very, very imprecise science dealing with human nature yeah. and hoping other people see the value you think you see. That's kind of bottom line, exactly the hardest part of investing. It is a huge assumption we make that value mm. will out. Um, yes. But it's not a terrible assumption. I mean, again, history's just that guide mm. of, huh, well, it's mm. kind of always happened. When I, when, I, when I say always, I mean literally always yeah. happen. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. I've often put out the challenge, find me a company yep. Yep. You know, whose earnings have grown materially yep. over a long period of time and that wasn't reflected in some way in the share price. It just, you know. Except you've answered it yourself with Altria. <laughs> or tobacco stocks uh, actually that's that, they've done really well tobacco stocks mm. but there's been no there's been no PE well it might have been recently actually but for a long time there was, there was a low PE forever yeah, actually it's part of the reason why the returns are so good because the yields yeah, are so exactly. high and the buybacks yeah, have been right. so good <laughs> correct correct yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, and that, but, that, but that's actually the point right so if if tobacco was only hype um then there's nothing to sort of fall back on. So I think it's you don't assume that, the, that this is going to be a very popular trade and that a lot of people will bid it up and that there'll be a good premium. But at the same time, cash is cash is cash is cash. And for better or worse, these these corporations yes, are right. spinning out <laughs> squillions of dollars. And yes, at, a, yes. at a point, you get to a point where it's just sort of like, you never say never, but it'd be very unlikely for the PE to compress mm. sig- sustainably and significantly from already extremely low levels because then you then yeah. you get to the point where it's not about centimeters, it's just purely on yield. Let's say that mm. they dropped to one times earnings and they had an 80% payout ratio. I mean, yeah, you, you're right, getting exactly. an 80% yield. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't need yeah. the market anymore. Just yeah, that's right. Give me my shares cash, and I'll take that's it. That's right. So there's, I mean, there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no hard wall where these kinds of things kick in, but it's a rubber band. And, and the, the, yeah, more, right. the more you sort of um, stretch away from the anchor of earnings, the more likely yeah. it's to spring back, either if it goes too high or, or, or too low. Again, I'm not suggesting a strategy built around any of these mm-hmm. kinds of things, mm-hmm. but it's just that, 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 that usual refrain when, when stocks like XRF, which are trading on mm-hmm. a PE multiple of, of 25, that's fine. The rubber band sort of stretched up there, but it, it, it might be that the earnings rise to give it a bit more slack rather than the share price comes down and, uh, and vice versa for the, for the ones on the very low PE. You know, they, they, they could trade at lower multiples, but as long as those earnings are more or less consistent, that'll, that'll mm-hmm. sort of keep things pretty taut there and, and, and keep it where it is. So I never like to be reliant on PEs on what mm. the market is doing, but I very much, I mean, this is the un, uncomfortable, unavoidable truth is you do have to have some assumption in, in there at, at some point, right? Yes. Either pure DCF and that the market will recognize that, or I think that this is a reasonable assumption for the PE in the future. But I always do it, I always just estimate towards the sort of the lower end of the bound so that if, look, mm. I just want to be reliant on my company doing well. If it does well um, and the PE doesn't really move up and maybe it even gets a little lower, I'm still going to be okay. Um, if, if 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 uh, if the if the company um, races to the moon in terms of its earnings, <laughs> and then the PE collapses, maybe then I'm still okay under that mm. that scenario. But if I'm wrong and the PE ends up being much higher than I was accounting for, I'm not going to complain, right? Like just it's a win if it happens, and if not, well, you've still got the bedrock of of the fundamentals. 
Uh, It's worth saying, by the way, uh, half the company is owned by two people. Um, When it comes to shines, that's possibly there's a might be a liquidity problem there as well. Um, I can say I'm 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 actually fascinated by this. I'm going to look into it when we finish this podcast. No promises, no guarantees, and as always, if I do buy them, it won't be for at least two full days after this podcast goes to air. I don't think I will because I don't tend to play in this space. But I don't know. P of four and an eight percent dividend yield in a business that's kind of you know grown profit for the last three or four years. I'm going to have to look at the cash flows, but uh, yeah. Well, that's that's it? the thing to get comfortable with. I mean, again, just the, yeah. the, the the flip side of it would would be is that the, don't forget PEs can normalise not because of the share price, but because of the earnings. Like if, if Shine's right. earnings drop in half tomorrow, the PE is all <laughs> yeah, of a sudden yeah. sixteen as well. So yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, that, that's that that is the question to ask though, mm. and that, mm. and that is that is the conviction that you need to build. And if you have that yeah. conviction built around that, not even like rising and just like they can just like more or less chug it out as 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 is. You've got an investment thesis right there. Just be, just be sure. You, we're not going to go too much into this, but just for the fun of it, we talked about the learnings and everything else. Uh, even though they reported higher profits last year, their cash inflows uh, from operating activities was $49 million in 2021 and only $10 million in 2022. Mm. That's not necessarily bad. There might have been a big payout in 21 or a lot of work done in 22 or no payouts or whatever. But you know, the earnings are, are the accounting combination. By the way, we have an episode coming up while I'm on holidays, where Andrew's here, but I'm on holidays, uh, about the, the profit and loss statement, some of the things to think about. So just keep an eye and ear out for that one. But yeah, the, the cash inflows fell by 80%. Not necessarily a bad thing, as I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying therefore it's bad. But as a result, <laughs> they, they, you know, they had less cash at the end of the year than at the beginning. So this is a business that reported a profit and a good profit, but cash fell. Because they're hoping that all that cash spent is worth something when it come, when the payouts come. The work in progress accounting for this sort of business is really, really, really tough. So I don't I don't suggest anything's at all wrong with the way they're doing it. Just know that it's lumpy. And accounting profits in this business are a best guess estimation. So that's you have to just allow for that. So we again we'll talk a little bit about the PL in a couple of weeks' time, but when you think about this, think really carefully about when the reported numbers make sense. And when the cash flows, if you look back over time, the cash flows will also be super lumpy. There'll be years when cash flows were much higher than profits for exactly the same reasons. Yeah. So I'm not saying it only goes, goes in one way. Just be really mindful that a couple of big wins could go really nicely. Uh, a couple of big losses uh, and or, or you know not, non, non-results for them in terms of the money they've invested. And you could see cash flow and even potentially reported earnings fall as well. So uh, again, there's some people involved in this business who have a lot of their wealth tied up in this business who are trying very hard to create lots of value. Whether they can do it, open question. I'm sure they're trying their absolute hardest, but uh, don't just look at the reported profits, particularly in a business like this. Yeah, um, let, let me. I don't own shares, um, but I'll, I'll give the pitch for XRF though. There's, there's, oh, there, there's something to be said for um, the risk-adjusted returns as well. I'm, I'm very big on sort of saying there's no extra prizes for degree of difficulty. So there's nothing, any, anything wrong yeah. with Shine's model. It's just the model that it has to operate under and you've got all yeah. these yes, things exactly. to contend with. XRF make um, uh, analytical uh, machinery for mines, basically. So you send, mm-hmm. you, you send your core samples there. They tell you the purity and all of the, all the kind of stuff that you actually super important to, to run, mm-hmm. not just mines, but a bunch of industrial processes and the rest of it. And they got this really cool razor and blade mm. model. It's like Gillette or it's mm. like selling printers and print cartridges. So you kind of get the machine, <laughs> not that they're giving them away, but they, the margin on the, on the um, consumables is, is really nice. So what's the thesis here? It's just sort of like, well, actually, it's a company that's been around for uh, quite a mm. little, little while. Um, 
things cooled off a little bit after the, the mining boom, but since 2016, I mean, the earnings have just been going you know, gangbusters. Um, right. There's a very strong tailwind behind it. Remember, these are like, it's like they always say in a mining boom, don't buy miners, buy the pick and shovel provider. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Levi Jeans story, right? Like it's just like, don't, that, that is where the money to be made. So they're more of a volume game. Really, it doesn't matter what the what, how profitable miners are. It's really a, it's really a question of how much activity is going on. Now, we're the uh, second uh, largest uh, provider of all these rare earth minerals. There's a massive mm. boom underway. We know that the even even a government on elected in on rather green sort of promises of promoting new mines and the rest of it. That's the thesis, right? There's going to be more of this activity. They provide an essential product for some very big name players, very diversified. Um, and and so long as those customers are in operation and continuing to expand and, and run operations, they will be getting pretty reliable cash flows. And and that's that's the thesis, right there. Yeah. Don't run out and buy it and based I, on that. I'm just I'm just giving you I'm just giving you the uh, argument. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really and honestly, about the, the earnings, you know, growth has been phenomenal. Uh, according to the Comsec numbers here, two cents a share in 2020, which doesn't sound that much. Three in 2021, which remember is a 50% increase, five cents in 2022 per yep. share. Now, that's why the PE is still massive, but you can absolutely imagine a scenario where if they can continue to to get that, again, by the way, we're going to talk about operating leverage uh, in uh, in a future episode. Uh, they, their earnings went from two cents to five cents a share, so two and a half times. Thing of beauty. Their sales mm. went up by eight cents from 22 to 30. Basic math says that's a about 40%. Yep. So 40% increase in sales, two and a half times in profit. Now that won't continue forever. Um, but you know, you can imagine why investors look at this company and go, well, hang on, another couple of years of earnings growth and all of a sudden the PE goes from 25 to something lower. Uh, all of a sudden the stock that looked expensive at 25 times is either much cheaper at 16 times or it's 25 times earnings, but the earnings are much higher. So the share price goes from $1.30 to $1.80. $2, something like that, and uh, and it looks like a, a absolute no-brainer. Yeah, hardly any debt, strong balance sheet, reliable cash flows. I mean, here's the other thing as well. Like, it's not like this is some pre-revenue growth mm. tech startup. They've got it's profitable business. It pays a dividend. It might be at twenty-five times, but if you gross up for franking credits, you're getting a three percent yield in this thing. Like, yeah. I get that in the bank, right? And then there's then there's so the argument the, the lovely rule of thumb if you haven't heard it is a sort of a derivation of the Gordon growth model. But what you can do is you can say my total long term return, making a few basic assumptions here, will probably be my starting yield plus the growth in dividends over time. So one of starting the, dividend yield starting dividend yield. So so okay. so one analysis of this would be. Um, I won't include franking credits to make it easier. So 2.1% yeah, yield. So. <laughs> I want a 10% yep. yield. Do I feel as though over the medium to long term, XRF can boost its dividend by about 8% per year? Uh, mm. If that is true, you'll very likely get a double digit return when all this is said and done. Um, it's a rough and ready kind of approach to do it, but companies that pay dividends, that's a nice little way to thumb suck an idea of value. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's 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 the case for XRF, and it's another great example. One hundred and seventy-eight million dollar company. No one's heard of it, right? It's a big mm. company. One hundred and seventy-eight million dollars. I, I I know on the ASX, it's not a big company. There's lots of liquidity there. Actual real business, real earnings, real dividend, industry tailwinds. 
I'm starting to think why I don't own it now. Why? why, why I'm not <laughs> talking myself into it, but I'm just—I just want to put the positive case yeah. out there, and, yeah. and 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 I guess my circle back on the original point I was trying to make is, mm, mm, mm. it's just there's less or any of the things I've said and the assumptions I've sort of implied there could absolutely yeah. be wrong, but there are yeah. they're just easier uh, for me at least. I think they're easier guesses than when it comes to shine. How many people are going to be launching class actions? What's your success rate going to be, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's hard. Um, and this is, this is me. It's just a lower bar to step over. Yes. That is a wonderful place, I think, to finish our podcast, mate. Uh, thank you for spending some time with me. I've always, always enjoyed it. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. As always, if you want a question answered, hit us up on the socials or via email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au is our email address. Drop it there in the member services, fools at the Motley Fool. We'll get it to me. I'll ask the question. Follow us on the socials. If you're on Twitter, that's the only place you can get Andrew Page, at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. You can get me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P or at the Motley Fool AU. And on Facebook, follow me, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. I've said before, I think I said in one of the pre-records and I said I try and remember it in advance of that pre-record, which I have finally and, and thankfully. Mind you, we're so far through the episode, there's probably our mothers listening and no one else at this point. Um, just, a, just a quick call out. Uh, the podcast is very long. We're not going to take too long. Quick call out. Uh, I am having my account spoofed by scammers. Uh, they are using slightly different spellings or different characters in my Twitter handle, pretending they're me, and then adding my followers to their account, trying to swindle them out of money. Uh, scumbags, I wish I could do something about it. I can't because apparently Twitter and Facebook aren't big enough tech companies to actually find a way to solve for this, he says sarcastically. <laughs> um, so yes, please be very, very careful. So let me be very clear. TMF Scott P, two T's in Scott. One of the one of my scammers on Twitter is only using one T. Um, I'm also being scammed, I think I was on Facebook or somewhere else, or Insta, putting an R on the end of it, Scott P R for reasons only best known to them. But yeah, so TMF S-C-O-T-T-P is the only Twitter or Instagram handle you should follow for me if you're getting invitations from somebody else. By the way, if someone pretending to me adds you and hits you up and says, hey, how are you? Um, I love you all. I'm glad you're following me. Um, I'm not going to add you on Twitter and then say, hey, how are you? That's uh, not my deal. So um, as much as you might be excited by it, and I, I love that you're excited by it, uh, just please keep an eye out because I really, really don't want any of my followers or our followers to be scammed by uh, by, by yeah. falling for that sort of stuff. It's easy to do when you're not thinking, you're between meetings, it's late at night or whatever, you first thing in the morning, you click on it, you start chatting, all of a sudden there's a link there and they try and scam you out of something. I'm not going to offer you Bitcoin, I'm not going to offer you a deal, I'm not going to offer you a special investment opportunity. Again, as much as I love you all, I'm not going to do that. So um, just please be, be mindful of that. Until next week. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.